Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 6th of December 2019. I'm Elizabeth Hill. And this week, our team comprises John Plush, who is engineering. Round the table with me is Judith Doherty, and we welcome Pam Holder. The admin has been done very ably by Carol Hartle and Sue Childs. And looking around somewhere is Duncan Wynne, who is going to do the copying with Judith. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering. We'll tell you about some emergency and useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres. We have the obituaries which have been published in the last week. The thought for the week, we'll open the birthday book. Do tell us yours if uh, you haven't already. And then we'll have the last week's headlines, the sunrise and sunset times. And thereafter will be stories which I've picked out during the week, uh, which I hope are of interest. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. Anyone who does wish to make a voluntary con- donation can be sent, can send it to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, W-Y-L-D-S, in Worcester, W-R-5, 1-D-A. And we do thank... Uh, for anyone who has donated uh, to our charity. We do like to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for improvements, add a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone. The telephone number is 01905 But please be aware, we're not here every day. We are volunteers. The office is not manned on a daily basis, so please be patient. We're generally around on Thursdays and Fridays. And uh, I will just remind you about the magazine which uh, comes out and um, the talking books. And if you'd like talking books, again, put a note in your um, wallet or leave a message. Now, Judith is going to give us the useful telephone numbers, please. Thank you. Thank you. Here in Wilds Lane... The number is 01905-767766. Worcester Live, 01905-611-427. Malvern Theatres, 01684-892277. Police Non-Emergency, 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 Worcester Hub 01905 765765 Norbury Theatre 01905 770154 NHS Direct 111 out of hours medical assistance 0300 
12332111 and that is between 6pm and 8pm. And finally the Infirmary Museum 01905 Thank you. Now, you may have heard that Maid Marian and the Merry Men is this year's pantomime at the Swan Theatre. It's fully geared up to make sure the show can be enjoyed by as many people as possible. And Ben Humphrey, the director, has told us that it includes two audio-described performances during its run. Those two very special performances with audio description are this Saturday, the 8th of December at 7pm and Saturday, the 29th of December at 2pm. This is at the Swan Theatre. Tickets can be booked through the main box office at Huntington Hall uh, by ringing 01905 611 Oh, really? Sorry? Oh, so you wanted me to read it as though it was Ben? No. Okay. Okay, okay. So, you may have heard by now, Maid Marian and the Merry Men is this year's pantomime at the Swan Theatre. It's fully geared up to make sure the show can be enjoyed by as many people as possible. And as Ben Humphrey, the director of the Panto, told us, it includes two audio-described performances during its run. The two pantomime performances with audio description are this coming Saturday, the 8th of December at 7pm, and again on Saturday, the 29th of December at 2pm, both, of course, at the Swan Theatre. Tickets can be booked through the main box office at Huntington Hall, ringing 01905 Now, on uh, also on the 8th is called Sea Legs Puppet Theatre, presenting The Selfish Giant. This uh, seems to be a children's performance. It's actually on at 11am. So that's something for the children. And also in the evening on the 8th of December at 7.30pm is The Searchers, the 11th and last annual Christmas special. Tickets £21. Worcester Concert Club, at uh, again at Huntington Hall, present a journey around Europe on Sunday the 9th of December at 3pm. Tickets £16. Between the 11th and the 15th, and then Tuesday the 18th to Saturday the 22nd of December, all at 7.45, is Bar Humbug, a performance. uh, Sorry, this is in the Vestatilly studio, and um, it's Worcester Repertory Company, uh, written by Chris Yeager. Tickets are £13.50 for that. On Thursday the 13th of December at 7.30pm is Mike Sanchez and his band. That's at Huntington Hall. Tickets £18.50. Also at the hall is T-Rex... T-Rex... (laughs) It's obviously a T-Rex tribute band. Uh, The 14th of December, 7.30pm. Tickets £18.50. Again at Huntington Hall, a Celtic Christmas with Callan. 
Saturday the 15th of December at 7.30pm. Tickets are £16. Also on the 16th at the Henry Sandon Hall is the Santa Show 2018. Santa's Christmas Party. It's at 11am and 1.30pm, obviously for the children. Uh, tickets range between... Um, under 16s are £10, adults 11, adults and two children 40. Uh, at Huntington Hall on Sunday the 16th between 3 and 4pm is the Astaria String Quartet, a Christmas family concert. Again, ticket prices vary. And looking further ahead to Worcester Cathedral's um, production present, presentation on Wednesday the 19th of December... Uh, is the snowman and the snowman and the snow dog uh, performances at 12 p.m., 2:30 p.m., and 7:15 p.m. So, crossing the river to Malvern, um, we have on the 11th of December a Christmas Carol. Simon Callow presents that. That's uh, in cinemas. Um, 7pm, uh, tickets £14.56, seems an odd price, uh, based on Charles Dickens' own performance adaptation. Um, they've created a one-man theatrical extravaganza of festive storytelling. Uh, Santa in Love is on uh, between uh, Tuesday the 4th, Wednesday the 5th and Saturday the 8th of December. Uh, times vary: one thirty uh, on the fourth, ten thirty on the fifth, and two p.m. on the eighth. I guess that's probably for schools. It's a Walt Disney event. Uh, the Nutcracker and I is on Sunday, the 9th of December, at three p.m. and five p.m. Um, it's a live uh, performance. Uh, ticket prices vary £19.60 and £16.24. On Wednesday the 12th of December is a Christmas concert with the Choristers of Gloucester Cathedral and Orchestra of the Swan, conducted by Adrian Partington. Uh, that is at 7.30pm. And on the 13th of December too, at 7.30pm, is the legendary Osmonds on tour. Tickets there are £39.76. On the 15th of December, Beyond the Barricade, songs from the world's greatest musicals in concert. And that's actually excellent. That's at 7.45pm, tickets £26.88. Um, on the 21st of December, I'm looking really far ahead because you may want to book uh, The Advent of Christmas, the uh, Armonico Consort. Um, and that's at 7.30pm. And I think that's about it. So quite a lot going on in the local area uh, for you to participate in. And Judith now has some birthdays, I think, please. Thank yes, you. thank you. Yes, two birthdays. Um, first of all, on the 14th of December, um, Deborah Fryer's birthday and then Charles Hooper, his birthday is the next day on the 15th of December. So um, we wish you both uh, very happy birthdays. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Okay. Right, now, um, have the 
uh, obituaries from the past week and these um, funerals will have already taken place. <clears throat> Geoffrey Riches, formerly of Blackpool Stores, passed away uh, November the 18th and the funeral service will have taken place on the 7th of December. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Betty Joan Bell passed away November 13th. Funeral service again will have taken place on the 7th. Again, flowers are donations um, for St Richard's Hospice um, to EJ Gummery and Son, details as before. Frederick Taylor of Sheepscombe Drive passed away November 14th. Again, funeral service uh, will have been on the 7th. Uh, and again, uh, donations for, for St Richard's Hospice with um, or sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Funeral still to take place. Elaine Warwicker passed away November the 16th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Monday, December the 10th at 10.45am. Flowers or donations, if desired, for the British Lung Foundation to EJ Gummery and Sunday tells us before. Doreen Hill Nadovi passed away November 23rd. Funeral service on Monday the 10th of December at 3.15pm at Worcester Crematorium. A collection plate will be available with proceeds to Age UK. Mary Harper, née Norrie, passed away November 24th. Funeral service and burial at St Philip and St James Church Hallow, Tuesday the 11th of December at 1.30pm. Donations for the NSPCC or Cancer Research can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, The Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. Mary Triner passed away November 20th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Wednesday the 12th of December at 12.15pm. Uh, donations for Worcester Animal Rescue Shelter can be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery and Son details as before. Margaret Probin of St John's passed away peacefully November 15th. Um, a celebration of Margaret's life will be held in Gullivelt Park on the uh, 17th of December at 12 noon. Please wear something colourful. A reception will be held immediately after the celebration at the winning post on Pope Iron Road. Donations to Worcester Air Ambulance, Strensham, Worcester, WR80BZ. On uh, backtracking to the 13th is the funeral of William, known as Bill Everly, of Broadway Grove, who passed away on the 4th of November. His funeral service is on the 13th of December at 10.45 at Worcester Crematorium. Donations for New Hope can be left at the crematorium. Justin Davis, formerly of Droitwich, passed away December the 1st. A funeral service on Wednesday the 19th of December at 11.15am 
at Hereford Crematorium um, and afterwards at Hereford Rowing Club. Family Flowers Only Donations for World Vision, uh, which is justin-davis.muchloved.com. And finally, Roy George Smith of Warnden passed away December the 1st. His funeral service will be on the 19th of December at 2.15pm at Worcester Crematorium. Donations to Cancer Research, care of E.J. Gummery and Son, details as before. Uh, we send our uh, prayers and thoughts to all of those who have lost ones recently. And the thought for the day is taken from St. John's Gospel, uh, sorry, St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, uh, verses 26 to 33. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Right. And now the uh, headline stories from the past week. Uh, man denies causing cyclist's death. Woman hit by bus. James gives, gives gifts to kids. Club boss cleared. Triple child killer set to be freed and jailed and sunrise is two minutes past eight in the morning the sun goes to bed at three fifty-seven p.m we're getting towards the shortest day aren't we on the 21st of december and now i'm going to ask judith to read the first headline story please thank you a 55 year old man has denied causing the death of a cyclist in worcester Mark Treasure pleaded not guilty to causing the death of 46-year-old Anthony Ryder from Droitwich through careless driving at Worcester Magistrates Court. He is accused of driving without care or attention on the A449 in Clanes, Worcester on December the 22nd, 2017. The charge states that Treasure of Green Lane in Beverley was driving a Fiat Doblo at the time of the incident. The defendant was granted unconditional bail and will next appear at Worcester Crown Court on January the 2nd. Speaking after Mr Ryder's death last year, his wife Dion praised him as an incredibly clever and creative man who was also a keen cyclist. She said, He was massively into new technology he would always compare whatever new gadgets he had with our son. He was very into DIY and was very creative. 
If he ever saw something, he would say that he could make it himself and that he could do it for cheaper. The things he made would always last. He'd always do a better job than the real thing. He was very close to his children. He loved them very much and he looked after us all very well. I'm not sure where the obsession for cycling came from. I think he just wanted to get fit and it just escalated from there. He loved cycling and was incredibly keen. He was always on his bike and he was always out cycling with friends and colleagues. Relatives of Mr Ryder and the accused sat in the public gallery. Paul Stanley was defending treasure and Shafquat Reyes was prosecuting. A fundraising page was set up after Mr Ryder's death, which has so far received £2,405 in donations for the road safety charity Break. A woman was hit by a bus in the city centre after walking out in front of the vehicle. Paramedics treated the pedestrian, believed to be in her 30s, for a head injury and took her to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The woman was reportedly breathing unconscious after the crash, which happened in Forgate Street, outside Sainsbury's, at around 1.40pm on Friday the 3rd of November. A spokesman for First Bus said one of our vehicles was involved in a road traffic incident on Forgate Street. A pedestrian stepped into the path of one of our vehicles. Fortunately, the driver was only doing around 12 miles per hour. Emergency services attended the scene and the pedestrian was taken away in an ambulance. The driver is okay, but shaken as a result of the incident. He added that none of the passengers on the number 36 bus were injured in the crash. One eyewitness said she walked out into the middle of the road and the bus hit her. The bus was going at a reasonable speed. A Sainsbury's worker added, We heard a big bang. We thought he, the driver, clipped the car door. We called our manager, who is first aid trained, and two people came from the train station who were first aid trained. We gave the driver a cup of tea. The employee added that they spotted the driver jump out of his bus and saw a person on the ground. One woman, who did not want to be named, said people were administering first aid to the pedestrian before paramedics arrived. A customer at coffee shop Whalen's Yard claimed the woman was put on a trolley and taken away in an ambulance. West Midlands Ambulance Service said the patient was not thought to have suffered serious injuries. Police also responded to the incident and the first bus driver was reportedly breathalyzed with a zero reading. The bus's front nearside window was smashed in the crash, leaving glass scattered across the road. No arrests were made. We reported in August Lily Alves, aged 14, was hit by a bus in Deansway, near the heart of Worcestershire College. She is expected to make a full recovery, 
but it will be a slow process, according to medics. An investigation by first bus found the driver did everything he could to avoid hitting the teenager. A young boy with a rare heart condition who has been awaiting major surgery for six months is donating hundreds of presents to a children's hospital with his dad. Five-year-old James Blair was diagnosed with Noonan syndrome from birth, a condition which can affect many areas of the body, including some form of critical congenital heart disease. In James's case, he suffers from a narrowing of the valve that controls blood flow from the heart and lungs, which has caused leakage. Um, Dad Paul Blaine said he had the condition since birth and doctors are monitoring the problem and trying out different medication. As he gets older, he's going to get stronger, but they've said he definitely needs the surgery. They told us six months ago. Doctors are hoping the leakage in James's valve reduces, but it's unclear if he'll need a temporary valve fitted or a permanent one, said his dad. Paul and James's mum are no longer together, but have to take their son to Birmingham Children's Hospital every three months. Now, for the second year running, father and son from St John's are buying £201 toys from the Honourable Auctioneer at Wellsbourne Market for children at the hospital. They will then travel up to Birmingham in Paul's lorry on Saturday, December the 15th, in Christmas fancy dress, to deliver the gifts. The reason for doing it is basically a lot of parents who have kids at the hospital can't get there on Christmas because the bus services or whatever are reduced and not everyone can afford a taxi. If they don't have transport, the children won't get a visit from family on Christmas Day. If they've got something, that's a bit of a surprise. It'll hopefully brighten up their day. Paul said he wraps and colour codes all presents so that hospital staff know which ones are for girls and which for boys and also different ages. We take them in and leave them with the ward staff so they can distribute them as they see fit, he said. The gifts include jigsaws and colouring books, which the children can use while in hospital. Asked what James's favourite part of the whole experience is, Paul said he gets the most excited about the lorry. He just goes nuts getting to ride in there. The dad went on to say, I'm trying to teach him about the power of giving, to take a step back because a little gift for someone else doesn't take much effort. The trust which runs the hospital was named by the Health Service Journal as one of the top 100 NHS trusts to work for. The trust's Professor Anita MacDonald, consultant paediatric dietitian, was awarded an OBE for services to dietetics in the Queen's Birthday Honours in 2015. A nightclub boss has been cleared of forcing a young woman to take cocaine before sexually assaulting her in a club storeroom but was convicted of possession after he tried to wash the drug down his bathroom sink. Bushwhacker's boss, Darren Pinches, wept and gave a deep sigh of relief as he was cleared of two sexual offences against a woman he was accused of assaulting in a nightclub storeroom 
and stared ahead without expression as the remaining verdicts came in. The Browns at the key owner, dressed in a dark suit, was found not guilty of administering a substance, cocaine, with intent to stupefy or overpower a woman to enable him to commit a sexual offence and has also been acquitted of a sexual assault against the same woman, then aged 20, on New Year's Day last year. The jury came back with their verdicts on four of the five counts at Warwick Crown Court yesterday after a trial which lasted more than three weeks. The jury of six men and six women was out for about six hours deliberating. The panel retired on Thursday of last week and did not sit at all on Friday before returning with their verdicts at around 3pm. The 52-year-old of Brumyard Road was convicted of possession of cocaine after he was caught by police flushing the Class A drug down the sink of his home in Fernal Heath on January the 13th last year. He was cleared of supplying cocaine to a woman at the crypt in Bushwhackers and an apartment at the Quay on February the 10th, 2016, where she claimed the two had engaged in consensual sexual activity on a bed. But Pinches told the jury that flood water would have prevented access unless the woman was wearing waders and described the business as a building site at the time. Carpenter Thomas Bailey, who oversaw the work, was called as a witness, saying work began in around late November to convert the building into 11 hotel rooms and at the time of the alleged offence would have had no walls and no furniture. The water has had been isolated. The building stank because of the flood water and there was no electricity. He said the building was a shell and a building site, telling the jury, we pretty much took the whole building apart. Michael Burroughs, QC, conducted Pinches's defence throughout the trial. At an earlier stage in the trial, he told the jury, the sad reality is that people do make false allegations and you may never discover the reason they're making those false allegations. Throughout, Mr Burroughs said the woman who had accused Pinches of sexual assault had told lie after lie after lie to get attention from her mother, including that she had miscarried twins and had been checked for cancer. He stressed that the complainant's evidence that she had kicked open a door to the storeroom as she fled could not have been true, as the storeroom did not have a door and, even when it did, that door would have opened into the room. Mr Burroughs also emphasised the friendship between the woman who had accused Pinchers of sexual assault and the woman who said he had supplied her with cocaine at the crypt and an apartment at the quay, allegations of which he has now been acquitted. In his summing up earlier in the trial... Judge Anthony Potter told the jury that one of the issues they would have to consider 
was the possibility of collusion between complainants. Pinches gave evidence from the witness box, breaking down in tears when his wife and children, who were present at the time of his arrest on January the 13th last year, were mentioned. Sometimes Pinches, who has asthma, would take puffs on his inhaler. He told the jury his arrest was the worst day of my life and acknowledged he had attempted to wash cocaine down his sink before he was taken to the floor by police. The news a a triple child killer who impaled his victims' dead bodies on garden railings is to be released has shocked and angered Worcester people. David McGreevy was dubbed the Monster of Worcester after murdering three children, Paul Ralph, four, Sister Dawn, two, and nine-month-old Samantha at their home in Gillam Street, Worcester, in 1973. However, the parole board confirmed that Miss McGreevy, now 67, is set to be released following an oral hearing. The children's mother has said she feels betrayed, and Worcester MP Robin Walker says he will write to the the parole board to say he believes McGreevy is a danger to the public and should not be released. Their mother, Elsie Urry, has told the son she had begged that McGreevy stay locked up, telling the paper, I was told he'd never go free, adding... He put my babies on spikes, for God's sake. He mutilated them, and they died in agony. Despite begging them to keep him locked up, I have now finally been betrayed, she said. People living in Gillam Street spoke out, unanimously agreeing he should not be released, and certainly not allowed to return to the city. Jules Bimand who moved to the street earlier this year, said, when I moved here, everyone said about what happened. It's a horrific story. It wouldn't be a good thing for him to be let out of jail. If it was my children, you would never want him to be released. Another resident who did not want to be named said, he could come back to this street. I'm not agreeable for him to come out of prison not after what he did. What he did is insane. The man is a psychopath. Judy Lesserman, who lived in the road at the time of the murders, has previously told the Worcester News that she had always said he should have received three life sentences to keep him locked up. Karen Robinson was born in Gillam Street and who was seven at the time, called it a horrendous crime for which he should never be released. Worcester MP Robin Walker said, There's obviously a concern locally, so the public's safety needs to be taken into account. It's a case people feel extremely strongly about, given the horrific nature. I do not believe David McGreevy should be released. A life sentence should mean life. Angry readers flocked to the Worcester News Facebook page when the news broke and echoed the calls. John Harding said he should never be released, while Tina Pincott said, 
I'm all for second chances, but not with this. The man is sick. And the final headline goes back to the um, Darren Pinch's case. Uh, the nightclub boss who was compared to terrifying movie serial killer Hannibal Lecter by the woman who feared he would rape her has been jailed for 21 months. Bushwhackers and Brown's owner Darren Pinches showed no emotion as he was led down red-faced into the cells from the dock of Court 4 at Warwick Crown Court to begin his sentence. The court heard he swore at the woman, called her a bitch and offered her cocaine in an attempt to have sex with her. A jury found him guilty of offering to supply cocaine to the then 40-year-old woman before demanding they have sex on a desk in a private office at Brown's between September the 10th and 13th, 2015. He was also convicted of possession of the Class A drug at his home after police arrived to arrest him on January the 13th last year. His barrister, Michael Burroughs QC, had earlier asked the judge to impose a community order informing him his client was willing to perform unpaid work. Instead, Judge Anthony Potter jailed Pinches, sentencing him to 21 months for the offer to supply and four months concurrent for possession. Pinches was caught trying to wash cocaine down the sink of his then home in Barclay Gardens, Fernal Heath, on January the 13th last year, after police arrived to arrest him on suspicion of attempted rape at about 7.40am. He was taken to the floor by several officers and handcuffed as police recovered the cocaine from a, gripped, a ripped grip seal bag. The judge told Pinches, This is not a case, I remind myself, where you have expressed any remorse for your offending. You have continued to deny this offence, as is your right. Pinches was acquitted of a sexual assault administering cocaine with intent to stupefy or overpower a 20-year-old woman in a bushwhacker's storeroom, as we've heard previously. He was also cleared of supplying cocaine to a third woman, then 19, at the crypt in Bushwhackers and later at an apartment at the Quay, overlooking the flooded River Severn in Worcester between February the 9th and 15th, 2016. Judge Anthony Potter said the offer to supply cocaine to the woman at Brown's, you became aggressive, so aggressive in fact that she compared the transformation to turning into a Hannibal Lecter figure. You made a series of expletive-laden demands and announced the plan to have sexual intercourse with her. You referred to her as a bitch and cleared in a violent manner the desk in front of you of any items and demanded she get undressed and get onto the desk. It's clear that your main intention in offering her cocaine was with a view to lowering her resistance to your approaches and seeking to make her more vulnerable to your sexual advances. She described how she had never been so scared in her life. She plainly thought she was about to be the victim of forced sexual intercourse. The judge acknowledged that Pinches had not manhandled the woman but had followed her. 
She locked herself in her car for sanctuary, believing her drink had been spiked after being ushered out of Brown's by a manager, who had already tried to get her to leave the room where she was with Pinches by telling her her taxi was ready, despite her not having ordered one. The judge took the view that Pinches had earlier sent someone in person with a message at Bottles Wine Bar in the city with a view to isolating her from the friends with whom she had been socialising and said it was clear from her evidence she had been disorientated when she returned to Brown's from Bottles at Pinches request. Judge Potter said the woman had made it clear she did not want any of the five lines of cocaine Pinches had put out, but that he had put pressure on her, telling her it would be our secret. The judge accepted there was no scientific evidence her drink had been spiked and no such charge had been brought against Pinches by the Crown telling the defendant he could not be sure on the evidence her drink had been interfered with. He also made clear he would sentence on the basis that the offer of cocaine was an isolated occasion. Mr Burroughs had handed up two references on Pinch's behalf and stressed that the offer to supply cocaine had been at the lowest level on a social, non-commercial basis and said the counts of which his client had been convicted would not have been pursued by the prosecution but for the other more serious allegations of which he had now been acquitted. He said the allegation put great strain on his marriage and, because of his position in Worcester, this case has attracted considerable publicity. It's one thing for him to have to bear that publicity, but another for members of his family to cope with it and his children to have to cope with it and the comments they have had at school about his conduct. Mr Burroughs also said the case had had an impact on his client's business and that this represented not just his livelihood, but that of others too. He spoke of pinches often being choked with emotion, which he called a measure of the strain he has been under, a strain made greater by the allegations of which his client had been acquitted. The trial has lasted nearly a month at the Warwickshire Justice Centre in Leamington Spa. No order was made for costs because of the nature of the sentence imposed. So, although that was a little bit of a rerun on that same case, I felt in editing that there were um, discussions that had gone on in court that had not become evident in previous um, items. So, we're now going to start with some general news, Judith. Thank you. Okay. A city medical practice has been ruled to have breached its data protection obligation after posting personal information about a former patient online. Seven Valley Medical Practice posted its response to Andrew Brown's Freedom of Information request to whatdotheyknow.com, which has been deemed to identify him alongside information about its plan to remove him as a patient. This was deemed as a breach of confidentiality by the Information Commissioner's Office, 
which has ordered the surgery to take action to ensure it doesn't happen again. In a letter to Mr Brown on October the 23rd, Catherine Hay, ICO lead case officer, said, The medical practice has not complied with their data protection obligations. She said his personal data was inappropriately disclosed and, although the information was taken down on the same day, June the 8th, after a complaint by Mr Brown, it was still a breach. However, NHS England does not consider the practice, which has surgeries in Henwick Hall, sorry, Henwick Holt, and Lippard Grange, as having breached confidentiality. In a letter to Mr Brown on November the 21st, Professor Kiran Patel, Medical Director, NHS England, said the release of information which means an individual is directly identifiable only may continue a breach of personal data, but in this case your confidentiality has not been breached. We reported last month how the Practices Data Protection Officer, DPO, Paul Cowdery, had been warned by the Solicitor's Regulation Authority, SRA, to stop claiming to be a solicitor or he could face two years in prison. Mr Coldray, Managing Director of PCIG, said the ICO decision was based on an error of disclosure after an FOL request for which PCIG did not offer advice. When the disclosure of patients' data was identified by the practice, PCIG advice was sought. In a letter to Mr Brown, practice manager Nikki Redshaw said she did not believe there had been a breach but apologised for any inconvenience. Mr Brown said NHS England and Seven Trent are in denial. The ICO decision makes that clear as it specified the surgery was to advise what steps were being taken to avoid it. Plans to scrape funds together to repair a badly damaged war memorial to Worcestershire soldiers are underway. Richard Greenway, aged 54, visited Gelliveld in Zonnebeck, Belgium, during a self-guided battlefield tour. He was shocked to discover the state of the memorial, which honours 2nd Battalion Worcestershire Regiment, who fought in the small town of Gelliveld. The regiment were called to defend the town after the Germans broke through the Allied defensive line on the morning of October 31st, 1914. With an easy route to the Channel ports and 13 German battalions on the charge, the battle and the regiment's victory was of strategic importance. The city's Gelibel Park is named in honour of the battle. Mr Greenway said, I was upset to find the memorial in a poor condition, with no reference to any names. Not only have the bricks started shattering, but the mortar is falling apart, and salt deposits are staining the brick, and water damage is evident. It is seriously affecting the quality of visitors' experience. 
I had relatives that were in the Worcestershire Regiment and I was appalled that this memorial has been somewhat neglected. Mr Greenway offered his services as a landscape architect to redesign the site whilst finishing the basic repairs needed. Being conscious of the limited funds, he managed to secure free engineering bricks from Weinberger Bricks. A Worcester bricklayer also agreed to fix the repairs with no charge. While Mr Greenway offered his sponsor to sponsor his accommodation and travel expenses. However, the Mercian Regiment rejected the proposal and instead have funded £6,000 to the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, which is responsible for the memorial. Councillor Adrian Gregson has offered to donate £250 towards the memorial's restoration and Mr Greenway will match the funds from his company, Greenway Landscape Architect. A thief befriended an elderly woman before stealing nearly £35,000 from her over a 10-year period. Jacqueline Cooper took the victim, who was in her 80s, shopping and to the doctors, building up a trusted friendship over several years. But the elderly woman's family discovered Cooper had been taking money for her, from her account for a decade. Cooper, aged 58, admitted stealing £34,400 at court. The court heard she befriended the woman more than 20 years ago and was trusted with her house key and given access to her bank card. Her crime was discovered after the victim received a letter from her bank offering an overdraft facility and showed it to her daughter after being puzzled as to why she would need one. It was at this point in 2014 numerous unauthorised transactions on the victim's bank statement were found and the offences reported to West Mercia Police. An investigation took place and financial analysis showed the estimated money stolen from the victim over an 8-10 to year period was £34,400. Cooper of Linden Road was arrested in 2014 and later charged in 2016. Detective Sergeant Leslie Fisher, who investigated the case and had contact throughout with the victim, said, The minute I took this case on, I knew I would do everything I could to establish what had taken place and uncover evidence of offences. This could have been anyone's mother or elderly relative, and a result like this, the guilty plea, makes me very pleased for the family and proud. It is what we earn our money for. The trial took place at Hereford Crown Court, and Cooper will be sentenced on January the 4th, 2019. Bus users and Worcester News readers agreed with a review into the county's bus service, and put the spotlight on what work would be needed for the long-term approach the report calls for. A report calling for a change in mindset on how the county's buses are run will be scrutinised by councillors um, on December the 5th. The draft paper compiled by a cross-party scrutiny group sets out a number of recommendations including asking the council to take a long-term 
strategic approach to public transport. In the report's foreword, Councillor Chris Bloor, who led the group, said, It's time to start building bus services up so that buses are seen as an option for everyone, not just those who have no other option, as part of a countrywide strategic approach to address the issues, but also to make the most of opportunities. This means changing the way we tender for services, giving incentives to our partners to grow bus usage, improving the perception of our bus services and embracing new technology and platforms to improve confidence and accessibility. Stuart Lane, commenting on the Worcester News Facebook page, said, I would be happy if a lot of the buses actually showed up. I understand that things like traffic can affect times, yet when three buses in a row don't show over 45 minutes, you know they haven't even left the station. Why have timetables if you can't or won't keep to them? Rob Jones, also on the Worcester News Facebook page, said, I can drive into town, park for three hours and drive home for less than it would cost my wife and I to get return bus tickets so you won't be seeing us on the bus any time soon. Emma Henning queried why buses are so expensive in Worcester. She said, Why is it so expensive for teenagers? £4.50 for the bus from Warndon Villages to town and back. It is much cheaper to get the car out and drop them off and pick them up again. Four car journeys, that could be removed, especially when there is more than one teen travelling. Tracy Williams said, Would help if we had a bus service that worked until at least midnight and seven days a week. I have never known a useless bus service like it. Sue Absalon said, I have no choice but to use public transport at the moment as I can't drive due to injury. What a joke. If the buses turn up when they're meant to, it's 50-50 if they'll stop. I can't wait until I can use my car again. Rough sleepers in the city centre were not moved on by police because of the Christmas fair, despite claims otherwise. Police had been accused of moving on the rough sleepers to prevent them becoming an eyesore, but West Mercia police were quick to refute the accusations. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, Part of everyday practice is that officers on the streets will move rough sleepers on, regardless of the particular day. The local police teams speak with the homeless regularly and move them on and signpost them to places such as the Mags Day Centre and St Paul's. The claims came when a volunteer who helps the homeless said police had moved rough sleepers on because of the fare. Les Emery, who usually delivers supplies to rough sleepers, said that when he went on Saturday, the usual faces had been moved on and couldn't be found. Mr Emery said, We took some food to St Paul's and we were told that the rough sleepers weren't in the usual place because the police had moved them. 
These people may not have anywhere to go, and just moving them on demeans them and degrades them. These are people, not an eyesore. We just want to know why they were moved and who was responsible. Worcester City Council said it couldn't comment on specific cases, but a spokesman said, Where there are reports of rough sleepers, we will work with the Mags Day Centre, CCP, and other groups to find out if there's somewhere to go. Mags Day Centre, which provides a hot meal, clean clothes, sleeping bags and bedding, used to host the, the charity Caring for Communities and People, CCP, but due to high demand, CCP had to be moved to the Salvation Army in the Trinity. The move was made because the Salvation Army building has the capacity to care for 25 people, whereas Mags has a capacity of just 18. Mags was founded in 1984 after a homeless man died after sleeping on the city's streets. In addition to the day centre, Mags runs its clothing project from the tithing. Earlier this month, the severe weather emergency protocol was put into effect. This is a system in which the night shelter at Mags is opened if the temperature is below freezing or if snow falls. Anyone who sees someone sleeping rush, sorry, rough is devised to point them in the direction of the Mags Day Centre or Salvation Army. And now uh, some sports news from um, Worcester Warriors. Uh, Worcester Warriors 16 on Saturday against Gloucester 36. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons admitted Worcester Warriors were outmuscled in their 36-16 Gallagher Premiership humbling at Gloucester. A trio of Duncan Weir penalties saw Warriors recover from 10 naught down to get within one point of the hosts at half-time. But Gloucester, who scored tries through James Hansen and Charlie Sharples in the first period, crossed the whitewash four more times after the break. Ollie Thorley stuck, struck twice while Freddie Clark and Jacko Visage went over to open up a 36-9 advantage with 18 minutes left. Warriors rallied with Bryce Heem going over late on, but Solomons insisted his side were beaten by the better side on the day. I thought the pack was a factor, but overall they outmuscled us, Solomon said. Physically, they were on top of us. Rugby is a game of collisions, and they dominated that. Well done to them. I'm not saying that we couldn't play better. Of course we could have, but they were the better side on the day. Warriors suffered a blow when full-back Chris Pennell saw yellow when he collided with the airborne Sharples on 57 minutes. With a man advantage, Gloucester scored two tries, but Solomons was delighted to see his side fight until the death as Heem struck while Pennell was in the sin bin. We were perhaps a little bit fortunate to go into the shed at 10 to 9 at half-time. They then had that big run at the beginning of the second half where they got well ahead of us. But what pleased me was that we did not throw in the towel. 
We stuck to our task. We got a try and should have got another. We got a little bit anxious at the end there and a little frenetic with quick taps, but I was pleased with the way we finished off and showed good character. Warriors slipped to ninth while Gloucester climbed to third position. Complaints have been made to a supermarket after drivers said they believed they had been sold contaminated diesel. Two customers who used the Warnden Tesco branch petrol station said they had had problems after filling up at the Millwood Drive store. Tesco has agreed to carry out additional testing on the fuel but says it does not believe the diesel is of a poor standard. However, Laura Yeomans said... I filled my car up on November the 28th with diesel and got the fuel filter warning light. I took my car into Kia, who looked into it and found my tank was 50% water. It has taken my car off the road and got me a massive bill to pay. I know of a few others who have had the same thing happen to them and Tesco is claiming it's not their responsibility. Both customers who complain say they received an email from Tesco's customer relations denying responsibility for the car problems. The email reads, I can confirm that there have been no reports of fuel contamination from this site, which, as I am sure you will appreciate, sells thousands of litres of fuel every day. If there had been even the slightest problem, there would have been many more complaints. There are strict controls in place to prevent the wrong fuel or indeed any foreign matter being delivered into the storage tanks. The pumps are fitted with filters which would remove anything in the fuel that should not be there. In addition, the tanks are fitted with water detection gauges which sound an immediate alarm if there is any water collection present. These preventative measures are checked regularly and I am confident that the contamination did not come from this fuel station. In some cars it is possible for foreign matter to build up in a fuel tank over a period of time, leading to the problems you have described. Please be assured that if any fault has been found with the fuel from this site, I would have been happy to reimburse you accordingly. As this has not been the case, I cannot do this. A spokesman from Tesco told the Worcester News, We have no reason to believe the fuel at our Worcester Warnden Superstore petrol filling station is of a poor standard. Following the concerns raised by two customers, we are carrying out additional testing and will update our customers should we find any amiss, anything amiss. In November, we received two separate customer complaints about fuel which have been fully investigated and in each case we have found no evidence um, of fuel from our Worcester Warden supermarket which would have caused damage to either car. If fuel was not of an appropriate standard, it would set off a monitoring alarm in our station as a precaution and we are arranging for the fuel at the store to be tested. A similar problem was reported at a branch of Tesco in Bristol earlier this year. After an investigation, water was found to have got into the diesel in one of the storage tanks at the petrol station. 
There was chaos on the M5 due to a car crash, which resulted in four people being hospitalised. West Midlands Ambulance Service was called to the southbound carriage of the M5 between junctions 6 and 5 at 8.35am December the 3rd due to a crash and a lorry shedding its load. Emergency services, including six fire engines, four ambulances, a paramedic officer and a basics doctor, were reported at the scene. One commuter said traffic was at a total standstill, not even crawling. It was utter gridlock. Many of the drivers turned their engines off. I heard on the radio that all lanes of the M5 northbound had been closed. I don't think I moved at all from between 8.30am and 11.30am. I saw several vehicles, mainly police, heading at speed and with sirens sounding along along lane one towards the crash site, followed by several recovery vehicles including one which had a crane attached. One lorry driver in front of me decided to go for a walk, despite the signs warning people to return to their vehicles, as the motorway was reopened, which added to the delay. There was also what appeared to be a broken-down car in Lane 3, with its hazards activated, which caused further delay. There was a lot of debris near the central reservation as I drove past the accident site, including what looked like parts of a lorry. Metal cages and mangled shopping trolleys from lorries shed load. The fast lane was still coned off at this stage and a Highways England traffic officer was parked in that lane with his blue lights activated. There was also a long queue on the slip road at Junction 5 as people took the opportunity to get off the motorway as soon as they were able to. In total, ambulance staff assessed eight patients, four of whom required going to hospital, whilst the others were able to be discharged at the scene. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman said... Crews arrived to find a lorry and numerous cars that had been involved in the collision. Three men and a woman received treatment at the scene for injuries not believed to be serious before being taken to Worcester Royal Hospital for further assessment and treatment. At 2.45pm, the area was cleared and all lanes were running with delays of around seven minutes. A school has bought a popular city sculpture in memory of the headteacher's beloved husband. Kemsey Primary School has introduced their newest edition, Girafficus, to the community during its official opening of a new building block. The expansion block, named The Height, has created three new classrooms for the school. The Bishop of Worcester, John Inge, blessed the sculpture whilst launching the new facility. Girafficus was bought in memory of the Reverend Matthew Baines, who died on September the 28th. He was the husband of the head teacher, Bryony Baines. 
Mr Inge worked with Mr Baines and they were close friends. He told the school during the celebration, It's a great delight for me to bless the new member of the school, Girafficus, and to open the height. As Girafficus is dedicated to my friend and colleague Matthew, I'm going to pray that all the students will be able to walk tall and be reminded of him by the giraffe. Matthew spent his life loving people, caring for people, and encouraging them to walk tall as he believed that what was God wanted. The school's community gathered together to raise funds to purchase the giraffe from the Worcester Stands Tall auction in dedication to Mr Baines. Their target was to reach £5,000. However, in total, £6,670 was raised. Harriet Baldwin, MP for West Worcestershire, cut the ribbon to celebrate the launch and blessing of Girafficus. She said, I was delighted to join Bishop John and Bryony to celebrate the arrival of Girafficus and the brand new teaching block. The building adds three new classrooms and will make a huge difference to the school. It's always great to visit our local primary schools and so heartening to see the great work being carried out by Bryony and her team. The statue is a wonderful tribute to Bryony's late husband, Matthew, and it's a fitting tribute to his contribution to Worcestershire. Councillors will decide whether to invest an extra £398,000 to modernise the CCTV network in Worcester City Centre. Members of Worcester City Council's Policy and Resources Committee will make the decision when they meet on Tuesday, December the 11th. The City Council currently operates 66 CCTV cameras which feed footage through a fibre-optic cable network into Castle Street Police Station. From there, the information is transmitted to a control room operated by Witchhaven District Council, where the images are monitored 24 hours a day. Most of the council-owned cameras are nearly 10 years old and are analogue. The fibre links connected to them are 15 to 20 years old, and the City Council has already started work to upgrade them to carry digital images. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of Worcester City Council, said, We recognise the important role that CCTV plays in crime prevention. Investment is needed now to ensure that the city has an effective, well-resourced and fully functional network underpinned by up-to-date technology. It is important to recognise that the council-owned network of cameras is just one of many sources of CCTV footage available to police. Several businesses, organisations and residents also operate cameras within the city centre. In addition to the £398,000 investment being considered by the council, a further £50,000 has been allocated by West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion to improve the city's CCTV network. The City Council is in discussion with the University of Worcester over the university having future access to specific CCTV footage from its control room. This would be for situations when university staff 
need to see footage regarding issues such as vandalism of its premises. In October, the Worcester News revealed that the CCTV camera overlooking Sabrina Bridge had not been working for around 12 months. The bridge was one of the last known whereabouts of student Tom Jones, aged 18, who was found dead in the River Severn at the end of September. Foam pouring out of a popular Worcester fountain appeared to turn the attraction into a giant bowl of washing-up liquid. The fountains, located just outside Browns at the Quay, in South Quay, were producing a huge amount of foam on Monday afternoon, but it was all just to ensure the fountain had a good clean. One passerby said, I was walking by the river and saw a big wall of foam from the distance. There were bubbles and foam everywhere. I thought someone had tipped washing up liquid on the fountain. All the foam was getting blown across and going in the trees. It was an unusual sight to come across. However, a Worcester City Council spokesman has reassured the public that all is well, saying, This is a normal procedure for the fountains. No one has placed washing up liquid down the pipes. Often a washing cycle takes place where washing fluid is put down the pipes to clean everything out and to ensure it is maintained. It is just like cleaning a dirty plate and you apply fairy liquid to give it a good clean. (laughs) The St John's area of Worcester is like a ghost town with calls for action to be taken to help traders. Residents and traders have told the Worcester News something needs to be done to prevent the area becoming further run down. Hope Brown, a St John's resident, said... I want to stress St John's is becoming a ghost town. There is not a lot going on now. I think we need a costa to get more people to visit St John's. There is a lot of empty buildings. It needs some more shops. Traders told the Worcester News they were particularly concerned about the lack of parking bays and if the parking situation improved, that would help footfall. The lack of parking on the B4466 Malvern Road and the Sainsbury's car park, which only has a limit of two hours, were major issues that were highlighted. Lisa Watkins, owner of Studio 5, said, There's a lot of empty units round here. The old zigzag nightclub has not been open for years. It has just been left as a derelict building. They need better parking round here. Two hours on Sainsbury's is not enough. It's a real issue for us. People don't have time to visit us for a colour. John Orton, manager of First Page, said, There are more and more flats in the area, more cars. Where are they all going to go? We would like something to be done about the parking. There are very few spaces. And if they extended Sainsbury's limit, that would definitely help. A spokesman for Sainsbury's said, Our customers are welcome to use our St John's store car park for free for up to two hours. During this time, they also benefit from easy access to other shops. The time limit is in place to ensure there are spaces available to customers when they need them. Attempts to contact the owner of the land where the former nightclub is based proved unsuccessful 
and Worcestershire County Council did not respond before the deadline. A new director of music and organist has been appointed at Worcester Cathedral. Samuel Hudson takes over the role following the departure of Peter Nardone earlier this year. Sam has been the director of music at Blackburn Cathedral since 2011, where he is also the artistic director of the Friends of Blackburn Cathedral Music, and he regularly works for the BBC as organist and director of the Daily Service. The Dean of Worcester, the very Reverend Dr Peter Atkinson, said, We're enormously pleased that Sam has accepted our invitation to come to Worcester and we know that he'll make an invaluable contribution to Worcester's distinguished musical tradition. The presenter, the Reverend Canon Dr Michael Brierley, said, I'm hugely excited by Sam's appointment and I'm very much indeed looking forward to working with him and to welcoming him and Louise to Worcester. The Dean of Blackburn, the very Reverend Peter Howell-Jones, said, While I'm delighted by Sam's appointment as organist and director of music at Worcester Cathedral, I'm deeply sorry to be losing him. He is a gifted musician and has contributed significantly to the development of music here in Blackburn. I'm absolutely sure that he'll be a great blessing in his new role and bring freshness and creativity in an already well-established department. Sam said, I am thrilled and honoured to have been chosen as Worcester Cathedral's next organist and director of music. It is a privilege to have an opportunity to come to a cathedral city and region so steeped in musical heritage, while also home to living music-making of the highest standards. I very much look forward to working with new colleagues in Worcester and to joining the cathedral community in due course. An inflatable Christmas archway has been stolen from outside a family home. The archway, worth around £70, featured a snowman on one side and a Father Christmas on the other. It was stolen between Friday night and Saturday morning. Zoe Hayes of Diglis Dock Road said she was absolutely devastated because they have got no right to do that. Miss Hayes, 46, said her 11-year-old daughter was devastated. Miss Hayes wishes to warn residents to make sure Christmas decorations are bolted down. Somebody is going around pinching them. It's just not fair. Why should we spend money on them just for them to take it and throw it away? Miss Hayes said. Someone on Facebook claimed to have seen something in the Diglis Basin that looked like it could be the archway. Miss Hayes said the police were informed of the theft. Worcester City MP Robin Walker visited the delivery office um, of Royal Mail uh, to see firsthand the operation of delivering Christmas Post and to pass on season's greetings to its dedicated, hard-working staff. Robin was shown around the office by delivery office manager Glenn George and was introduced to the postmen and postwomen 
who are pulling out all the stops to sort and deliver mail in Worcester over the very busy Christmas period. The festive season is Royal Mail's busiest period as millions of people shop online for gifts, as well as sending Christmas cards and parcels. Royal Mail also plays a key role in e-commerce for many businesses, sending goods to customers throughout Christmas shopping season. Robin Walker MP said, At no other time is the hard work and dedication of postmen and women clearer than during the festive period. There's a huge amount of effort and dedication going into delivering a first-class Christmas all over the country. It was great to meet the team here at Worcester and thank them for the extraordinary lengths they go to to ensure Christmas parcels and cards are delivered to loved ones on time. Uh, and as well as thanking them for delivering our mail services all throughout the year in all weathers. Now, the last recommended posting dates for Christmas are second class Tuesday, December the 18th, first class Thursday, December the 20th, and special delivery Saturday, December the 22nd. A night shelter for homeless people at the Salvation Army's base will be open continuously from December the 22nd to January the 2nd, but the charity's Worcester shop is set to close. Currently, the Salvation Army only opens as a night shelter when temperatures hit zero or below. As part of the Severe Weather Emergency Protocol, SWEP, in partnership with the Caring for Communities and People charity, CCP. But from December the 22nd to January the 2nd, the shelter at the charity's base in the Trinity will be open from 9pm each night, with rough sleepers able to stay overnight and have breakfast before leaving. The Salvation Army's church leader, Major Diane Henderson, said, we are not waiting for the temperature to drop. We are opening so that we have somewhere over the Christmas period for rough sleepers to come. It will be staffed by volunteers of the CCP as we work alongside the charity in Worcester. We are working towards installing a shower and some dryers so that if they come in with wet clothes whilst they are sleeping we can get staff to dry them. This news comes as the Salvation Army announced that its shop in the Trinity would be closing down for good on December the 19th. Angela Turberfield, a volunteer at the shop, said, We don't get the footfall where we are, and the costs are going up. We are all volunteers, so that doesn't cost anything. There has been a Salvation Army shop in the town for more than 25 years in various places, so it is disappointing to close, but having said that, staying and asking the volunteers to sit in the shop and wait for people to come in when there is no footfall is not on. She added, All the other charity shops are in Meal Cheapen Street, so people go past the Trinity. A lot of people do not even know we are here. Rough sleepers at a homeless camp described as a mini Glastonbury have been given an eviction notice by the City Council. Locals previously claimed the makeshift settlement behind Primo Bar and Dining in Sidbury, Worcester, was an eyesore 
and a hub for drug dealing and antisocial behaviour. However, those staying at the site denied these allegations and insisted that they were simply trying to survive. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, We served a notice to leave on Thursday. This required them to leave the land immediately. If they are still there 48 hours after the notice was served, we can consider further action, which may involve seeking a court order. We are working closely with Rough Sleeper Support Services and the police and will be giving high priority to the welfare of the rough sleepers in the actions we take. One of the people staying at the camp, Claire Bradshaw, aged 48, said the council had not found her a home for various reasons. She said, if we get kicked out from here, we will be back in the doorways. I've been on the streets a year this December, me, my partner and my dog. Being on the streets is not healthy. It's shameful the way we have been treated. We are not doing anything wrong. One Worcester news reader, Kylie Kelly, has set up a Just Giving fundraising page to help house or support the people living at the camp. The page has already raised almost £200. A controversial plan to introduce parking charges at a city park will be fully scrutinised by county councillors before a decision is made. The proposal to implement charges at Worcester Woods County Park was called in a rare power requesting the council's main scrutiny group look at the plan by Councillor Richard Udall, putting to a halt putting a halt to proceedings, sorry. At a meeting of the County Council's Overview and Scrutiny Performance Board on Wednesday, December the 5th, councillors agreed to investigate the plan at its next meeting on January the 14th. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, Cabinet Member for Communities, who is behind the parking charges plan, said the council needs to make cuts and is only bringing Worcester Woods in line with similar visitor attractions across the county. She said the plans to introduce parking charges would raise around £140,000 a year for the maintenance of green spaces. Councillor Franiborski said, I think it is really important that we get the views of users of that car park, including organised groups who use the place, as well as the casual members of the public and the views of the cafe. She said it was essential all the groups who would be affected by the introduction of parking charges had a chance to have a say whether it was in person or in writing. Councillor Chris Bloor, chairman of the Overview and Scrutiny Performance Board, said, I do think it is, it is quite a multi-layered issue and, and that there are lots of groups affected. One of the people who did contact me, who lives on a local road, said they would be inundated with people parking on it if charges were introduced. Councillor Liz Eyre, Vice-Chairman of the Scrutiny Board, said it was essential that as much written evidence was presented to the Board ahead of the meeting. 
Councillor Udall said the move would deter poorer residents from using the facility and harm trade at the Orchard Cafe, which is next to the car park. A petition calling for the plans to be scrapped has so far gained more than 4,700 signatures. Worcester MP Robin Walker said he was against the plans and will be invited to have his say to the scrutiny group. The Council's Overview and Scrutiny Performance Board meets at County Hall at 10am on the 14th of January. The public are welcome to attend. The city centre's streets were packed with shoppers this weekend for the Victorian Fair. Visitors from as far afield as Cornwall descended on Worcester to soak up the atmosphere. In a first for the event, stalls were set up in Cathedral Square as well as along the city's streets. Helen Mole, City Council Officer for Tourism and Events, said, We had about 200 coaches come over the four days of the fair from all over the country. The furthest was from Cornwall. Coaches have been coming pretty much since the fair began in 1992. Year on year they come back. Visitors like the atmosphere, the Victorian dress and Worcester's local businesses and restaurants. You drink mulled wine, look at the shops, start Christmas shopping, meet friends and eat food. It's the start of Christmas for people. She added that coaches get a police convoy into the city centre when picking up departing visitors to ensure the vehicles arrive on time. The council officer also trumpeted the benefits of the fair, which brings in £7.3 million to the county's economy, according to an independent survey from 2015. Nick Hunt, the owner of Saffron's in New Street, set up a gin stand outside his restaurant for the first time this year. He said, It's been good business. We are serving gin outside and selling all things gin. Glasses, gin candles, mulled slow gin. Since chain restaurants came in, we have had to diversify. The fair is good for the city. It helps when footfall is dropping. He added that the event has become more popular over the years, spreading across the city centre. Police urged shoppers to be vigilant for pickpockets in a tweet on Friday afternoon, although organisers were not aware of a rise in crime on previous years. The reason for giving and receiving, once the presents are opened, results in a big pile of packaging and wrapping paper. Then, despite the best of intentions, the presents themselves may be unwanted, and then some toys, even when wanted, are only played with once, then forgotten. Come February, they wind up in landfill, a hedge in a field in Callow End, or worse, floating in the Atlantic Ocean. The BBC's Blue Planet 2 shows that marine wildlife has a serious issue with plastic rubbish in this sea, but it doesn't have to be this way. One alternative is to buy a loved one a memorable experience. Another is to make something yourself, releasing the creative inner you. A present isn't only about how much it is, but that you thought about who was getting it and what they like, 
and that sometimes means taking some time. Making something out of recycled or biodegradable material would be even more sustainable. The Worcester Resource Exchange is a great source of recycled craft materials and can be found in Blackpool East, Unit F9, C W R E dot UK dot com. Some busy people don't need any more things. They're really hard to find presents for. Instead, you can give them time. You could give them vouchers for specific jobs, which free them up so that they can have an evening out. Given that we will all will probably still have to actually buy some presents, sort your present from a small business in Worcester. Then the money stays here in the local economy to individual people, not multinational companies. That way, more people will have a better Christmas. And one other Christmas story. Uh, Christmas came early for Worcester Food Bank as supermarket shoppers donated five and a half tonnes of supplies during a marathon three-day food collection. Volunteers encouraged customers at the Tesco stores in St Peter's and Warnden to add a little extra to their basket or trolley to help Food Bank feed the growing number of people forced to turn to it for help. Shoppers did not disappoint, with some even handing over trolleys filled with urgently needed items like long-life fruit juice and toilet rolls, as well as festive treats including alcohol-free mince pies and Christmas puddings. It's estimated the 463 crate loads of supplies will provide at least 5,000 meals to people and families who cannot afford to feed themselves this winter. Graham Lucas, Worcester Food Bank manager, said, It's times like these when I feel immensely proud of our city, having once again witnessed such extraordinary generosity. In an ideal world, there would be no need for us to ask for donations, but the reality is demand for emergency food shows no sign of slowing. Without this level of support, hundreds of our clients would go hungry this winter. The boost in supplies comes at a critical time for Food Bank, with the charity predicting a steep rise in referrals, fuelled by the recent rollout of universal credit across the city. The Lowsmore-based centre handed out almost 2,800 emergency food supplies during the first six months of 2018-19, but there are fears demand could rise by as much as 50% over the next year. And that is the last of our stories this week. So I have a few um, announcements and thank yous. Um, Actually, a thank you to Anne Briggs for a donation and to Anne McKeever, who had a collection box at the Winning Post. So um, sincere thanks to both those ladies. Um, My thanks also go to Keir Aldis for supplying the thought for the week. Uh, unfailingly as she has done for many many years 
And at the end, we're actually going to play the whole of the uh, music that Sheila Joins has recorded for us. Um, it lasts about two and a half minutes, and I think there has been a request to hear all of it. And it is rather a nice piece of music, and Sheila has done it all herself. So that's amazing. Um, and so a big thank you to Sheila. So, thanks to engineer John Plush, to readers Judith Doherty and Pam Holder, and again to Carol Hartle and Sue Charles for the admin, and to Duncan Wynne for doing the copying, joined, being joined by Judith. So, it only remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off, and from us all here at Worcester Talking News, to hope you have a very happy, happy Christmas! Christmas.